0: Hey there, welcome into another fireside chat here at the Cold Chain Summit presented by FreightWaves. Waves. My name is Andrew Cox, I'm a Senior Retail Analyst here at Freight Waves and also the head of the Freight Waves Retail Supply Chain Community Point of Sale, where I've made content and write about how e-commerce and Omnichannel and Bopus and how all of these different things are changing the way our supply chains are set up. Well, over the past year, people have begun buying a lot more groceries online. When we were stuck at home during the early days of the pandemic, that was our only option. and now. Even once grocery stores are open, people are spending much more online on groceries now than they were just 18 months ago. With me to discuss how this surge in e-commerce is changing the cold chain is Mark Nelson. He's the CEO at Perishable Shipping Solutions. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, Mark. So this is your FreightWaves TV debut here at the Cold Chain Summit. So it is customary to give a little background on yourself and tell us a little bit about what PSS does.
1: So uh, PSS is... Um, operating in a new area, uh, as we talked about, uh, e-commerce fulfillment. So PSS focuses uh, specifically on fulfillment for e-commerce. And our niche is really dealing with perishable foods, frozen foods, refrigerated foods. We also ship um, chocolates or products that have melting issues like energy bars with peanut butters. Um, So we're shipping things from ice creams to steaks to baked goods. To cheeses and yogurts and so on. Um, And this niche and growing fast is focused exclusively on e commerce fulfillment.
0: Yeah, we're going to discuss a lot about what the optimal basket size is, about what kind of goods you guys are shipping, but let's start with you guys' network. How are you guys servicing uh, your customers right now? Where your warehouse is located? Who kind of ships the goods for you?
1: Yeah, so we operate a two warehouse solution. The trick to making perishable foods reach the consumer. Um, safely is really shipping and affordably is shipping two-day ground. So we operate a two-warehouse network. Today, we have warehouses in Youngstown, Ohio, and Sacramento, California. And those two warehouses can reach uh, about 93% of the U.S. population with two-day ground shipping. So it's going to get there affordably. It's going to get there relatively fast um, and, 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 and really kind of, you know, consumers are wanting things kind of quickly. And so the two-day ground network makes it affordable to do.
0: Mark, tell me what it looks like from a customer's point of view. They order something online and what comes to their door? uh, You know, what's in the box when it comes in?
1: Yeah. So our customers are typically the food manufacturers um, and they are selling uh, on e-commerce. So it's They've opened up uh, a web store on their, uh, their website. So they've got Shopify or a Magento or WooCommerce on their website. They may have an amazon.com store, seller central store. Uh, They may have a walmart.com, a Costco.com, a Goldbelly. So our customers, the food manufacturers are opening up various uh, e-commerce sites and we do the fulfillment for those. The consumer really doesn't see what's happening from us. PSS, uh, our company is really becomes invisible to the consumer. Uh, so the consumer uh, goes online. They buy six pints of ice cream. Uh, it's going to arrive via UPS or FedEx. And it's going to be in a uh, most often a branded, uh, our, our customers branded box. It's going to have a, an eco-friendly liner. Uh, it may have some ice packs. It may have some dry ice in it. And this really great specialty foods for someone's birthday, someone's keto diet. Um, you know, these are the trends that we're seeing um,
0: but people want their food today quickly and want uh, unlimited selection. Yeah, most certainly so. And you, you're limited by, we'll, we'll talk about some of the reasons that this makes so much sense for a CPG brand or, or for an artisan type brand. But you mentioned a lot of different outlets there, whether it be their own website powered by WooCommerce or Shopify, but also Amazon and Walmart and Costco. But it's it's all of these different outlets, but it's a single channel of this e-commerce uh, of of running on e-commerce. So talk to me about what it looks like for you guys. All of those orders coming in as once. What kind of technology is necessary to make that happen?
1: Yeah, from our perspective, um, you know, our customer again, uh, the CPG company is going to have is going to be selling in an omni-channel approach. There are many marketplaces to um, just like. No brand would ever say, oh, we don't need Kroger because I'm in Walmart. They're going to be in lots of grocery stores. Same thing is going to happen online. a Very much an e-commerce omni-channel approach. Um, Today, we're still seeing the vast majority of our our customers' orders are coming off their website and Amazon. um, But we see Walmart kind of getting traction, Target, Costco, and so on. So from our perspective, we are able to make an electronic API connection to these various marketplaces, and the orders flow into our warehouses. We then have our own automation rules to kind of route the orders to the right warehouse. So, as an example, Andrew, if you wanted to ship your sister uh, uh, six pints of ice cream uh, for her birthday next month, and, and she lived in Seattle, when we received that order, it would have gotten routed to our Sacramento. You know, if you were living in uh, in, in New York and you wanted to get you know a great keto product because uh, you're on a diet, blah blah blah. Uh, that water would have been routed to our Ohio warehouse. So it just kind of flows seamlessly um, into our system, and we put them in the right places based on a lot of automation rules and zip code analysis and so on.
0: Mark, so in our prep call, you, you made a statement that has stuck with me since since you made it. And it's, you know, the question is, what can you offer that a store cannot? And I think, you know, you, you said you could offer protein, you offer the ability to build muscles of a channel. Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting today when you, when we think about the big perspective. Um, distribution, grocery store. People have historically just gone into the grocery store and bought their things. You know, and e-commerce is not new for food. It's just been relatively small. All right. We've all just experienced the pandemic. Uh, most everybody's, you know, gained the experience of purchasing food online or, or pick up at, at curbside. Um, but this trend is now happening. It's very much, you know, I like to think we're starting to see the backside of the pandemic. We'll see what's happening. But the order volume that we saw spike last March has basically remained, if not grown, uh, across our customer base. And so the way that we think about what's happening in e-commerce for food, um, we think back to, you know, our working hypothesis before the pandemic was, you know, why would the grocery store not see the same disruption path? that every other sector of retail has seen with e-commerce. E-commerce has come into, you know, we, we think about, you know, 10 years ago, we may have said, oh, you, Andrew, you could buy a pair of sneakers or your, your mom can buy a dress online. And the conventional wisdom would say, oh, I don't know. I think people are going to have to go into store to try those on. Satan, and it turns out to be not so much. And, you know, J.C. Penney's and Macy's would love to go back 10 years ago and change their e-commerce strategy. They can't. The Internet has eaten their business. Grocery is in its early disruption. Grocery is today where shoes and clothing was 10 or 15 years ago. It's still early stage. The pandemic has really brought it front and center. So the way that we think about a a large CPG company, even a mid-market account, is that they're selling historically in grocery. And, you know, we're not smart enough or I'm not smart enough to know what percentage uh, you know, is going to go online and stay there was it 3%, 5%, 10%, 15%, 20%? We don't know and what velocity that'll happen, but you don't want to be a CPG company that said, oh, 10 or 15% of the grocery store, people don't go into the store anymore. They're buying it online. You don't want to forget to go online. That's a Kodak kind of moment. I don't adopt the new channel. Um, and so the way that we think about today, knowing that this channel is only going to grow The way that we think about it is a brand that is going to be moving to e-commerce to say, well, it's still small. We don't know how to do it. It seems a little expensive. Why should I do that today? Well, before a brand is going to grow a a 25 or a 50 million dollar new channel, you've got to start somewhere. So before you build a 50 million channel, you got to build a 20, build a 10, build a 5, build a 2. you got to start. And the way we look at it is e-commerce is a new channel. And so like any new channel or any new process that's built, you have to build muscle. And and before you're going to get to a $50 million revenue stream, you really need to start today. And it may start smaller. And we see a lot of companies are starting with pilot programs, uh, dipping their toe in the water to learn and to build that muscle memory because the consumers are changing their behavior. And this is the new channel. You can't ignore it.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right, Mark. Those two things that I wanted to make a point of is like, one, you look to other industries, other segments of retail and thought, why wouldn't grocery get uh, disrupted like this? I thought about thinking about other countries. You look at the UK or most of Western Europe and pretty much all of Asia they're already 3 to 5 years ahead of us when it comes to e-commerce adoption for online grocery and they just happen to have a density advantage it will it's coming for us it's not that there is anything inherently different about american consumers not wanting convenience that our uk counterparts want it's just it's going to take a little bit longer to build and the second point is that it's never been easier or more accessible to build your own channel right now you have people like PSS, you have other companies that can help out logistics companies. And you also have got Shopify, WooCommerce, Magenta, I mean, so many, uh, you know, platforms that you can very quickly spin out a website that's that's competitive uh, to others online. So it's, it's the perfect time to do this right now, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And um, we think about it as, again, I always think about how a brand, a growing brand or a mature brand is going to now use this new channel. And obviously, everybody's looking to Today, just, you know, drive gross margin and lots of sales and lots of top line revenue. Uh, but I also look at a new channel like this today and say, well, what else can this do for me? Obviously, I want to grow my top line. But we're seeing a lot of the larger brands or the really strong brands that are building brand. They're using their e-commerce on their website, not so much to drive top line. That's great. But they're using it as a new marketing channel. It's a way to engage with raving fans, VIPs, social media people. Um, and, and create this experience that you can't do in the grocery store. It's one of the advantages of being online is you're now, if you're selling off of a Shopify on your website, you now own the relationship with your customer. You don't have to rely on the grocery store to find out what's going on. You don't have it locked up with Amazon, but you're now in a one-on-one dialogue with that customer. Um, and so it's a great way. We have one of our larger uh, plant-based burger companies adds a cookbook. Uh, We have a vegan cheese company that does the same thing. They have these great cookbooks from their celebrity chefs. And so it's get this product, get this cookbook. Um, It might be a perfect pairing. Uh, Apple pie and the best uh, vanilla ice cream. And you're creating an experience that you can't necessarily get just in the grocery store. Uh, But you're also able to um, sample new flavors. You've got a new... I'm going to use the pumpkin spice. We're not quite in the fall. We get all sick of pumpkin spice. But here are the new flavors are coming. Uh, it's a way to kind of add that into your into your environment. And, again, we think a lot about, again, how direct-to-consumer can be different than the normal distribution model. I'm going to take an emerging brand. We have an ice cream client that's got about 30-plus 30, 30 flavors of ice cream. And they're actually, you could go to around the country, and they have some grocery distribution. They might have their, as an example, they might have their chocolate, vanilla, and mint flavors in your local grocery. And, Andrew, you could go pick up you know, their vanilla. But guess what? They have 30 flavors that they can't get into the grocery. They can't get more grocery store shelf space. Online, they have an unlimited shelf. And that becomes this beautiful, or on Amazon, they have an unlimited shelf. So adding new flavors or engaging and learning as a, as a little bit of an R&D to go f- find out if it's something's working is a really powerful way to use uh, the direct-to-consumer in a different way that complements the grocery store
0: business. Yeah, that's a really good point, Mark, about how you can really you can build another brand. You can build a very uh, powerful brand experience with your customers by having your own channels, whether it be online or in-store. I mean, I'm seeing the same things play out in apparel right now. You see Nike, Under Armour, a lot of these companies going out on their own and trying to open their own stores to build that connection and, and control the data, because the data is uh, is key right here. Talk to me about uh, talk to me about delays because you you talked about how you're set up for two day ground shipping and that's kind of the the, the standard here. But right now, parcel, uh, FedEx, UPS, everyone is seemingly putting caps, uh, raising surcharges. Delays are are plentiful. So talk to me about what happens when that 48 hour setup um, isn't met.
1: Yeah, the proverbial what keeps me up at night is uh, delays. Um, it's been a challenging year for. Many many industries, FedEx and UPS, U.S. Postal Service, have all seen record uh, uh, of volumes go through these networks, and they've been stretched. And so, you know, if you're shipping, you know, uh, you know, a, a few of these, and it, and it and it's supposed to get there in two, but it shows up in three. Okay, I might be unhappy, but my product is safe. It's fine. I'm okay. If we're shipping ice cream uh, or cheese and it shows up a third day, we've got a problem. We've got an unsafe uh, food situation. So historically, our business has been designed around a two-day shipment. We think about 48 hours of transit, plus six more hours on someone's porch or mailroom. We think about this 54 hours. Um, But we're seeing uh, a higher-than-normal error rate from the carriers. Now, we can't change that, and, you know, we can work on things. But what we do with our clients is we work with our clients and try to develop other strategies to kind of build what I'll call insurance into their, into their solutions. Certain products, uh, there's no one size fits all. A lot of people will come to us and say, well, can't you just put a few more pounds of dry ice in there? Well, that doesn't always work because our package didn't have the room for extra. We were trying to keep it small intentionally to keep the, the UPS or FedEx price down. So adding adding insurance requires a bigger box, a bigger cooler, more ice packs or dry ice. Uh, and, and that also turns into heavier packages. So there's different strategies that we use for different clients. And I'll make an example, like steaks as an example, are kind of, they're frozen solid. They are kind of ice packs in themselves. They're more tolerant. And so there's certain things we might do adding a little bit more dry ice, ice cream. On the other hand, is uh, has no tolerance. In 15 minutes, if our coolant runs out, We've got soup. So we might take a different approach to look at two-day air, uh, three-day packouts, hybrid combinations. So, at, you know, at PSS, we're working with our clients based on their tolerance for errors, the likelihood of an error in, in, the, in the product category, uh, and then seeing what their experience is. And so this is something that, you know, our customer success teams are working, you know, kind of around the clock with our clients right now and trying to solve these problems. Um, and it's, it's been going on all year and we continue to just kind of, you know, get smarter uh, about the right way to solve a problem for a specific client.
0: Mark, in times of, of tight capacity right now when, when parcel networks are strained, talk to me about how important it is for that dock door, that final step uh, before handing off to FedEx or UPS or a regional parcel carrier about being, you know, as efficient and as perfectly timed as you possibly can, making sure that it's not there too early and not there too late. Just talk to me about the dynamic there.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, we are always thinking about those are kind of built into our natural process. And so, you know, when we onboard a new client, um, we put each pack out, what we call a pack out. A four pack is different than an eight pack. They're different sizes. They have different coolants in them. They they act and uh, react differently. So every package that we ship that goes out of our facility goes through at least two levels of thermal testing. We test them in our labs. We're testing them for, you know, Arizona and August kind of conditions. Um, And then the rest of the year is a lot easier. We also do live shipments where we ship them back to our clients for their sign-off. Their QA teams have to sign off on this. So there's a lot of engineering and rigorous testing that kind of goes into the design of our package. We think about 54 hours. Some clients want more, uh, 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 you know, are less risk-tolerant and will over-ice a package. It becomes the insurance. And so throughout the day... We're packing various packouts in, in lots of different ways. You know, we tend to pack our dry ice packages late in the day before they go out to FedEx. We do our ice packs earlier in the morning. So there's an elaborate process that that kind of gates uh, or drives the strategy as to when we hand it off to FedEx. But we're basically factoring in the amount of time a package um, leaves the freezer, goes into the, into, the, into the eco-friendly cooler, and how much time it's going to spend with FedEx to make sure that. As I go back to your example, when your sister gets her birthday package of six pints of ice cream, it's going to be this great experience. Again, that's that's the overall goal of e-commerce. We think about a gift. We think about, you know, someone ordering, you know, a great specialty food. We want that unwrapping experience to be great. Um, and we always guide our customers. You don't want to skimp on an extra ice pack or another couple pounds of dry ice and and risk a bad experience with likely someone that bought a premium product. They could have gone to the grocery store to get something else. They wanted this great product. This, this needs to be a great experience. So today we think about a premium solution. Um, and, and we want that, you know, we, we're trying to help our customers engineer a premium solution in the marketplace.
0: I'm really glad you you said, you know, the the goal of e-commerce is to please. It reminds me of I'm not sure if you know about Coupang, the the South Korean, they they call them the Amazon of South Korea, but their CEO, Bom Kim, uh, he says that he, you know, they they have this. Incredible logistics network that's set up. If you order something before midnight, it's going to be on your front door by 7 a.m. Uh, before you go to work. And he says he wanted that rocket delivery to be like magic. He wanted people to wake up and wonder how they ever lived without couping one day. Right? That is the goal of e-commerce: is is hyper convenience and and to to meet every customer expectation. Why to, to all the skeptics in the crowd that are uh, weary of this direct to consumer movement in grocery, uh, the fact that people are buying more groceries online. Why do you? Why are they wrong? Tell them. Tell them why you think that this trend towards direct consumer will continue.
1: So it, it, it's, you know, why would grocery be immune to everything else? <laughs> like, you know, the pandemic, if if two years ago, people would say, oh, I got to touch my orange, I like to lock down the aisles, you know, and the pandemic changed it. It forced the behavior. And, you know, quite frankly, people said, you know, they're not going to buy shoes, they're not going to buy books. Every single sector... Uh, of retail has been eroded by e-commerce, and now it's at the door of grocery, um, and and we all just learned that we can get our groceries delivered this way as well. Now, there are many ways to get your your food delivered that way, uh, but the trend is now here. Uh, it's kind of proven out uh, in its early stages, and it's in its infancy stages still. Um, you know, in, in our opinion, the customers that we work with, we still see them as the early adopters, um, but. Uh, trust me, our phones are ringing off the hook from the, uh, the the mainstream markets. Now are trying to build their their solutions in place, uh, but e-commerce you know has now reached the grocery.
0: Yeah, still so early in this game. Mark, one last question for you: What what do you as a company need to do, and also as an industry need to do to continue this growth uh, in online grocery?
1: Yeah, so when we look at our business um, today, we're operating a two-warehouse solution. And so we're putting the plans in place over the coming months um, and in the next year to be adding additional warehouses. Um, we think about the trends of what's happening in e-commerce today, delivering two-day for specialty foods is perfectly adequate. Um, uh, but the trend, Amazon continues to push the bar forward to one-day shipping, to same-day shipping. And so we're adding additional warehouses into our environments to be able to drive more one-day shipments to our larger customers. Um, And so we see that as a very trend. Today, we think it's fine. It's still in its early stages. But when I I put my lens on to look a little bit more long-term, I see more one-day shipping, even potentially getting to some same-day shipping for the largest cities, LA, San Francisco, New York, Chicago. We see those things coming. um, And it's just the trend of e-commerce that's coming down the pike.
0: Yeah, uh, the way that Amazon is spending on logistics, it won't be that long uh, before we probably have some same day uh, delivery from a lot of groceries. You've also got a lot of young startups that are hungry and growing fast, like Joker, like GoPuff, like all of these instant retailers popping up. So a lot going on in grocery e-commerce. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time and, and giving us some insight today. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. That's been Mark Nelson, the CEO of Perishable Shipping Solutions, right here at the Cold Chain Summit presented by Freight Waves. Stay tuned. We've got a lot coming up for you this afternoon.